Are you ready to live your best life, be stronger, and fall in love with yourself? It's possible, and it's inside you, but you need to unlock the power within. Welcome to Fearlessly Authentic with Jody Harrison Bauer. Jody used to be afraid to take risks. It took some stepping out of her comfort zone to get her there. Along with her guests and their stories, Jody will help you to live your best life ever. Now, here's your host, Jody Harrison Bauer. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Fearlessly Authentic. I'm your host, Jody Harrison Bauer, and I am so excited to have you join me today. If you are a first time listener, welcome to the show. This is the place where we educate you, empower you with that education maybe entertain you a little bit and inspire you to live your most fearlessly authentic life. Because in my humble opinion, what the heck are we doing here if we are not living our most fearlessly authentic life? Not always the easiest thing in the world to do, but this is why we're here to try to do that every single day. And I'm very excited to share my guests with you. But before we get started, I want to remind you to rate, review, and subscribe. We have a five-star rating. You can find me on all social platforms at Jody Harrison Bauer. And you can watch this video, this podcast, on video on YouTube at Jody Harrison Bauer. My guest today is Dr. Ali Fennick. Dr. Ali Fennick is an expert in human behavior and a professor of organizational behavior and innovation at a top FT-ranked business school. He is also the founder and CEO of the Dr. Fennec Lab for Human Behavior and Technology, a research and knowledge center specialized in enhancing human performance and relationships through behavioral change and technology. Dr. Fennec has over 2.5 million followers on social media across various platforms, and people follow him because he is able to communicate psychology in an easy to understand, fun, and engaging way. Welcome to the show, Dr. Fennec. It is such a pleasure and an honor to have you on Fearlessly Authentic. Thank you, Jody. It's an absolute uh, honor to be here as well and to meet you in uh, on well virtually, I should say, right? Yes, yes. Isn't it funny how you feel like you actually know people, even though you've never met them in person? I just fixed two people up, and I've never met the woman in person. Wow. wow. And because because of social media nowadays, we you, we get to see people's you know people's videos. We get to understand a little bit more about their personality and how they are. So when you actually get to see them, there's almost like a similarity. There's things that you recognize, maybe things you might not have seen of, of another person before, but we have a much more holistic picture of someone when we actually get to meet them nowadays. Yes, and it's, it's yeah. such a pleasure, but you, you forget that you've never really met them in person. And I had the pleasure of meeting somebody who had been on my show a few times when I was out in LA and to meet her in person just made it more glorious. And it was, it was just wonderful, you know, when you actually get to touch and, you know, feel yeah. that person's energy around you. Right, you know, right. Very cool. we, we, I think one thing I think we learned during the pandemic is that we can we can portray energy, right, through a screen, but it's not the same when we're actually face to face, right? It's completely different. But uh, I can completely understand what you mean, right? It's uh, it's beautiful when we actually get to meet the person uh, yes. in person. So hopefully, hopefully, I'll get to meet you in person sometime. Yeah, I know, and thank you for uh, staying up so late in Dubai. I appreciate that. <laughs> No, more than welcome. It's only 9 p.m. here, so we're good. Okay. All right. Thank you. Um, So Valentine's Day has come and gone. And I think a lot of people 
put themselves, put so much pressure on themselves and get very sad when they feel that this day has come and gone and I still don't have the love of my life in my life. I don't feel the love that I need to feel and I don't have anybody to give love to. How, what kind of advice would you give that person who was really sad on Valentine's Day? Well, look, uh, it's, a, it's a great question. I, I, you know, relationships and the, and the types of relationships have changed significantly in today's world, you know, thanks to social media, um, changing social norms, etc. So there are more people nowadays that are, you know, an increasing number of people that are now single, they don't have a relationship. And not only that, people don't want a fixed relationship anymore. And a lot of people nowadays, they choose to be in some other kind of form of connection, which doesn't always mean a committed connection, right? Sometimes it can be a situationship. I think we're seeing situationships severely on the rise, right? A lot of people are just having multiple ways of, you know, being with different people and feeling like they are emotionally connected, but not really giving themselves 100%. So I even think for those people, not just for the people that are alone and don't have a relationship, you know, I, I just, I think with, with Valentine's Day, you know, people are just kind of pushed into this thinking like, oh, I don't have someone. And so therefore, I must be alone. I must be sad. There's something wrong with me that I don't have a relationship. Right. And, and I think we need to move away from that. And the other the other thing about Valentine's Day is that you know, it, it's just one day. Why should one day be a reflection of your love for somebody? Right. Absolutely. It's a nice moment to kind of reinforce the love with someone that you have. But I think because we don't always have someone that we can do that with, it's a moment, like you said, it's here, but it's gone because a lot of people kind of like, you know, I'm, I'm going to love myself. I'm going to I'm going to have tea with my cat <laughs> on the sofa. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I have I, I got divorced about 21, 22 years ago, and I remember my ex-husband had my daughters during winter break. And my birthday's two days after Christmas. And I was always, my birthday was something that I love celebrating. My parents made a big deal about it. And I found myself being alone many times for my birthday because I didn't want to be with somebody that I wasn't enjoying just to have somebody there that started teaching me. I never had a problem being alone, but being alone in your 40s with children. And that was really difficult. And I went away one year all by myself. I went to one of those clubs, Club Med. That's what it was. Right. right. Where you go with, with other singles and people, oh, not just singles per se, but to meet other people, right? That's the whole Club Med idea. I think that's right. But I had never gone away by myself. Oh, and okay. I had to lie to my kids so they wouldn't worry. Like, mom, what are you doing? And I'm like, oh, I'm meeting a friend and I'm going away for a week. It was a great experience. So to your yeah. point, it's yeah. okay. Don't put that pressure on yourself because I did it. I lived through it and it's not worth it because it is just one day, whether it is your birthday or it's New Year's Eve or Christmas or whatever it is that you celebrate. But it is hard when you see all this stuff in the news and people getting roses at work and so on. It's right. it's hard to manage those feelings sometimes. It, it is. It is. And I think, but look, the other thing is, is that we're, we live now in a society where where more people are becoming focused on themselves, right? So it's not just the only the, the, the self-love and the self-care perspective. It's a lot of people that have been into been in some bad relationships and they've they've just given up. 
right? And now they're choosing for themselves. And I think there's a huge difference between being lonely and being alone and being okay being alone. And and society has made it easier for us to, to be alone, technology and other kinds of stuff that have come into our life that we can now, you know, we can be more self-sufficient and independent. And, and I guess, you know, we're, we're, we're steadily tr- coming to terms with this fact that it's okay to be alone, though in some cultures there is a stigma, right? Like, how can you be alone and you're over 40, right? That doesn't make sense. People don't get that. But slowly, slowly that's changing. And so, um, you know, I do, see, I do see some positives there, but I can, I can still also very much understand how a lot of people tomorrow, which is today's the 13th, tomorrow's the 14th, right? So a lot right. of people tomorrow are going to be like... Oh, I'm so sad, but let's let's hope they they can see the world from a different perspective and not look at it just from that one day perspective. Yeah, and it is healthy to with this technology. Some of us have become too uh, dependent on it, right. and that's not good because too much of literally anything is not right. good for us. Excess is not good. Right, so right, right. Finding that balance. You know, and I think to myself, oh, you know, when I got divorced 22 years ago, it would have been nice to be able to easily connect instead of going on Match.com or I was on J-Date and, you know, doing things like that. And, you know, that was my only that was a great connection. But I think Match.com had just come out like in 2002, which is when I got divorced. So at least we had that. That was like the first digital social media type of thing that I had ever been involved in. And thank goodness for that. That was a great outlet and a great way for me to meet. But I think in modern dating, which is what you talk about in your Red Flags, Green Flags book coming out in April. Yeah, coming out in April. It is. Red Flags, Green Flags. And I just did a reels about it, by the way, before we got on here, I was wearing a red dress and a green dress and asking people what their red oh, flags are. I, I, didn't, I didn't see it. I'll go, and, I'll go and watch it after. I'll have to let you know what they say. So um, in writing this book, did you write it because you felt people needed to be educated on recognizing this or was it just from you being motivated to find out for yourself and share it with others. Does that make sense? Yeah, that, that's a, honestly that's a beautiful question. Look, the the the, the idea behind the book um, has has come from multiple reasons, right? So first of all, I think we live in a world today that has changed so rapidly. It's changing. It's continuously changing. It's it's become extremely uncertain at the same time, and people feel lost. You know, am I? Is it still okay to ask a, na- a new neighbor that came downstairs and invite them for dinner? Like, in a lot of pe- a lot of people are like, no, you can't do that anymore. Can you still go to someone in a bar and approach them and say, hey, you know, I just saw you from the other side of the bar. I think you look amazing. I just wanted to have a conversation with you. Right. And then, and then a lot of people now say, well, twenty percent of women now say, well, I think that's cringe. I don't want that. Whereas fifty percent of women actually want the man to make the first move, for example. So there's a lot of uncertainty and there's a lot of overthinking happening in today's world. And I think for that was one of the major reasons why I wrote the book to help clarify, because the book, not only Red Flags, Green Flags, really talks about relationship and psychology in a modern world. So I talk about situationships and I, I talk about, you know, all kinds of forms of relationships and why is it acceptable and why is it not acceptable in today's world? Because People still look at the world from a traditional lens. And with the different ages, that you know, different generations that we have today, 
people don't see the world in the same way. So that was one of the major reasons why I wrote the book to bring people together and say, this is what we consider healthy behavior, and this is what we consider unhealthy behavior. But the other thing about the book, and, and this is, you know, ties into my, I guess, my bigger purpose in life, where I always said to myself, I woke up one day, you know, I was trying to find my purpose for many years, and towards the end of my 30s, beginning of my 40s, I said, you know what, I really want to make a positive impact on the world. And I, and I can see the world sometimes going in the wrong direction. I think we all do for many reasons. Um, and I said, well, how can I use psychology in a way to make the world better? And so one of the things that I, I, I'm fearful of is that we're not really using our brain as effectively as we should. So besides the book being giving you the red flags and the green flags, I also give you the process. So if you want to know why you, why you think that way, I'll help and give you a process to understand how you can change that. I'll also help you to understand when you see a red flag in someone, it might be a reflection that you are the actual red flag in the process. Can, can we talk about that? Because I was yeah, listening yeah. to a podcast also yeah. called Red Flag Screen Flags, exactly. podcast, which exactly. is phenomenal. I love it. And I can't wait to get your book that uh, you were talking with a guest about that she gets triggered from red flags, but that's from her. Like, is it a yeah. reflection of her? Right. So can you explain the differences and how people can become more aware? Oh, absolutely. Look, and, and this is what, that's the process, right? So that's the book is there to give you like for people that just want quick, I just quickly want to know what's healthy and unhealthy. You go straight to the book and it's there. But for those people, for that question you just posed, Jody, is how can I figure out why is it that I see a red flag and it's actually a reflection that I'm a red flag, right? So when you give that psychological explanation or the behavioral explanation, people can go back and they can reflect on their own behaviors and then become more aware, like, damn it, that's why I'm doing that. And so, of course, it's harder to change that behavior, but that awareness and giving them the process on how to do it is where I think the benefit comes in. So I'll give you an example. I'll give you two examples. One example is, and you've been married, and you, so you've been, you know, you've been in relationships. Are you, uh, no, no, I shouldn't ask that if you're, you're currently No, no, I'm, I'm remarried. I'm remarried. Okay. I, finally, okay, I finally okay. got remarried. I dated okay. for a very, very, very long time. <laughs> okay. So being in a relationship, being married, there, there are going to be moments in your life that, are, you know, in your relationship, that are going to be super boredom, bo boring, right? We call them relational boredom, right? It, it happens. It happens in every relationship. Yes. But for some, that boredom and that stability that they have in the relationship, you know, when the moment that things become stable and healthy, they go like, I don't like my partner anymore. My partner's boring. And so is it really a you problem or is the stability in that, in that relationship a reflection of their own inner chaos that's coming out? And then they become more aware and they're like, you know, and this is where the book comes in. Is, like, is this truly a you problem? Or is it really more a me problem? And here's why this is happening. And here's, you know, I, of course, you can't provide the whole process on how to, how to change it because that, you know, could take a long time to change. But you make them more aware of the fact that, you know, maybe what you see in others is more of a reflection of what's happening in your internal context. And that's why that book is there to help people become more reflective of their own behaviors, right? Because in today's world, we're heralded for making quick decisions, I think yeah, yeah. so I I wish I knew then what I know now. Yeah. Of course, the story of our life, right? It is. Um, <laughs> and those are the dots that help us get to where we are right now. Uh, yeah. Because it wasn't 
until my mom passed away in 2021 and my dad passed in 2010 uh, that I gave myself permission to go back to, I know you talk about trauma from childhood and so on and how that, you know, obviously, but some people don't want to face it. And I realized that it wasn't that I didn't want to face it. I just didn't want to deep dive into it until after my mom passed. And I felt that was now my opportunity because you're really, my, she was she had a stroke, so she was paralyzed. So I just wanted to wait until after she passed. But I didn't even know that. I didn't know I was doing that. And to what you were saying, that going back to past experiences and seeing how they reflect on me, right. and then I realized, oh, these are my triggers. And now I can say to my husband, when you do this, it triggers me, and this right. is why. So it's just, and it comes down to like becoming self-aware, right? And right. and then communicating effectively. Right, exactly. And I, I would add one more thing into that. I, you know, look, I'm a behavioral psychologist. Often people, when they see me online, they think, oh, you're a clinical psychologist or a, you're a psychiatrist. And, mm-hmm. you know, we have this idea that anyone who's a psychologist is a clinical psychologist. And I, I think maybe to make that differentiation is really important because I specialize in behavior um, and I look at what are those factors that we can, you know, in the environment, emotional, psychological factors, situational, social factors that we can tinker, that we can therefore influence a person's behavior to perform better or to, to be better or be healthier, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And so that's a distinction that I want to highlight. And, and I think that's one of the reasons why people love my reels is because I give them a completely different perspective to what's happening to them. And not, you know, a clinical psychologist will look at them from the disease model and you have symptoms. Whereas I look at you from a much more broader perspective, though we do share some similarities on how to look at the mind and, you know, how can we change thinking patterns and stuff like that. But I think the book also highlights that a lot, like I'm giving you a behavioral viewpoint. And so when we look at trauma, for example, and this is a great point, right? Maybe you say, Oh God, I've been traumatized. Therefore I'm not performing. But I'll tell you, the literature shows you complete something completely different as well. Like if you look at the super elite models, not models, it's going to say super elite athletes of the world. That's something different. But super elite athletes of the world, and they're not many. So when, yeah, as a behaviorist, you want to study what are those characteristics that are similar to them, so that we can try to replicate that in other people, make people stronger, healthier, fitter. And one thing that came, comes up in with these specific high performing individuals is that. They all had a significant traumatic event in their lives, but they coupled it towards a positive sporting outcome. So what I wanted to add to this conversation is what you just said. Yes, you go back and you look at it, but framing that experience as either something positive or something negative is really, really powerful because you can look at a traumatic event from a very different perspective and it can become the inspiration of your life Right. To become the best version of yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I've seen it with so many people, even my clients training women in fitness and health for 35 years. I've seen the ones that say, I'm going to use this to fuel me. And the other ones are, no, it's just um, I'm in scarcity mindset versus abundance mindset. How can this make me stronger? What doesn't kill me makes me stronger. Right. So that can build, and for me, that did fuel me to be the strongest version that I could be. And I try to help other people find that within themselves because we can change the story and that can help you have better relationships with other people and and find maybe the love of your life. 100%. 100%. 
So right. explain to me what a situationship is, because that's a word <laughs> that you've mentioned a few times, and I've heard you talk about yeah. on your podcast with younger right. people. And right. I love the young people that you bring on your show. They are just so open and vulnerable. I love it. And right. Uh, right. So can you explain to the audience what that is? Oh, absolutely. Look, I, you know, I love that question. Why? Because <laughs> I have studied this, you know, this phenomenon. I call it a behavioral phenomena situationships more than anyone else has. And so every time I have my Google alerts come up and I have the word situationship. So every time kind of a new article comes out, I want to double check and see, do I have the latest and the most ex, you know, extensive version of what other people have? And if I haven't, then I'll pick up some, something new out of that. And so far, since I wrote the book, I haven't found you know, an explanation that does that much more better than the chapter that I talk about. So I'm so happy to provide a little bit more perspective to your audience on what a situationship is. Okay, so a definition for a situationship is basically, um, you know, well, you can call it a romantic connection without the actual commitment or, uh, you know, that you have towards one person so that you can have an emotional and intimate or sexual connection with someone without the commitment side or without kind of, or labeling it as a relationship, right? So there's two ways of looking at it because often situationships, you know, most people find themselves in a situationship and they're unhappy about it. But in the book, I also talk about the positives of a situationship where, you know, when two people come together and say, hey, I would like to be with you, but I'm too scared about close and deep connection. And I'd like to take my time to get to know you better. And so I'll like to enjoy the positive aspects of our relationship, but I also want to have my freedom. And so that's what a situationship is in a positive perspective where people kind of create their own love story, basically. But a situationship for most people, why people complain about it is because other people are playing them around and keeping them in the dark and saying, well, you know, if you're being six months or longer with someone and you still can't define if you're in a relationship or not, that's when you are in the kind of traditional idea of what a situationship is from a negative perspective. So keeping you like not labeling the relationship, but also, you know, keeping you there and hang, keeping you hanging on because you want to be with other people, but you're doing that in, in, a, in, a, in a kind of negative way and not in a positive way. Okay, so the positive way would say, you would say to somebody, hey, I really like you and I like being intimate with you, but I am dating other people. Is that the more positive way? It's interesting because uh, I need to kind of explain a little bit more about what's happening in today's world. Look, today's world, if you look at younger generations, right, and also a lot of people now in in the dating scene, a lot of people are, you know, ghosting each other. They're not really, you know, the first red flag they see, they run away. Could be a trauma response, but could also be a reflection of they're they're losing. We're actually losing our abilities nowadays because of our smartphones, right? We're losing our ability to, to have more deeper connection and deal with difficult situations. So the moment that something gets tough, we walk away. It's also an ex- explanation why a, young, a lot of younger people nowadays, you know, they, they, they can't sustain long face-to-face interaction with someone when they meet someone for the first time. So because we're now losing that ability, you know, it's, it's, it's understandable why a lot of younger people choose a situationship because we're human by nature. We need that human connection, right? It's, it's in our DNA, But maybe the emotional connection and the difficulties and the hardships is something that we're not willing to engage in straight away. And maybe it's just too much from the beginning, from the onset. So 
when two people openly say, well, look, I like to be with you. I like to hang out with you. Um, I like to be intimate with you, um, but I'm okay with you seeing other people. You're okay with me seeing other people. Then that's a positive one. Another example of a positive situationship is it's almost like having your cake and eating it too, is where you say, well, I want to have all the great things about being in a relationship and all the things that I don't like about it, I'm going to keep it away. And you kind of negotiate that. So that, that's why in the book, I call it creating your own love story, basically, right. through a situationship. Yeah, molding it to your own personal um, desires. But then over time, what happens can, it, What happens is you leave, maybe you get a job somewhere, you, you say goodbye, no hard feelings, right? And the people in the situation might be okay with that. Um, or what we're now seeing as a, as a new trend, because again, having too much emotional and deep connection can be very scary for a lot of younger people nowadays, that they, there's something now called the mutually exclusive situationship where you both say to each other, I'm okay for you to see another person and sleep with them, but you don't do it. You only sleep with each other. So it's kind of like a, a next step towards something that is more exclusive without actually may, kind of naming it as exclusive. Okay, so they're sleeping together, but they can also see other people? That's a situation ship, yeah. The, the mutually exclusive is that they're exclusively seeing each other. It's interesting. So it is where, because you, you can also be in a relationship and have an open relationship, right? What they, right. Uh, right. That can be something else. So there's different, and I, in the book, I go into the different degrees and I explain, I, I explain the differences between these different terminologies. But in terms of a situation, from a positive perspective, people come together and say, look, I like being with you. And my, you know, a lot of people nowadays, they complain, my schedule is so busy. You know, if you don't fit in my schedule, you know, I don't know if you've seen the TikTok or real is like, I work. I sleep eight hours a day. I work eight hours a day. I go to the gym two hours a day. If I'm texting you, it means I like you, right? That's the mindset of today that, you know, if you're going to fit into my schedule and I want to be with you, then great. But if you're going to give me the drama, then I don't want it. So it's kind of like, can we fit each other's um, de desires together? But those things that we might not like about each other, well, we'll keep it away. We'll, you know, we won't get too committed. We also want to see other people and have that flexibility, flexibility and freedom. And so that's why a lot of people are actively choosing to be in a situation from just from a kind of social dynamic. What's changing in today's world? It's a reflection of that dynamic that's actually happening. I have so many questions about this. That <laughs> one of the things that you said. Well, first of all. Has I'm so happy the book is coming up. People will have a better <laughs> Me too. So <laughs> don't you think situationships were happening back in the 50s, 60s, 70s, but we didn't label it? Right, right, right. Of course they were happening. And, but, you know, maybe, right. Yeah, I mean, it was when people had many lovers, right? I mean, they there were movies about it. Right. Yeah, but we didn't call it that. It was more like the, you know, you were the Casanova or it was the mistress or, you know, it was the lover that you had. But, you know, the, back in those days, people were in committed relationships. People got married because of the social pressure around it. And, you know, we can also talk about the cultural aspects of, you know, how, how why people would get into a situation from a different culture. Because when we talk about, for example, falling in love or being in love or loving somebody, we often look at this from a Western perspective or what, you know, what TV and media imposes on us, what that should be. But if we look, for example, at other cultures where there are arranged marriages and there's no falling in love phase, uh, there's no kind of that falling in love phase and you, you get married to someone, it can also very much happen that sometimes people also have affairs, right? But that's a very different way of 
coming together because you're already in a committed relationship and now you're either cheating or having an affair. And so there are so many things that we have to look at when we think about love relationships. We have to put it in through a cultural lens, but also kind of like a, a generational and social context to better understand why things are happening and why those situationships exist. So I, I, coming back to your question, it's like situationships are often portrayed and I do, it's, I'm, the, I'm to blame for that, right? Because I, I always talk about situationships in my videos as a negative, but it can also be a positive or it could be an escape or it could be an alternative to what, how to deal with your existing situation. So hopefully, you know, we can, after the people listening to this podcast can look at situationships from a much more broader perspective. Right. So if somebody were is on a dating app or they're introduced yeah. to somebody right. and the person says, you know, my last relationship was actually a situation ship. Right. Should is that a red flag for a man or a woman? No. No, because okay. I think I love that you're asking these questions. These are super relevant. No, I don't think so because I think most people look, let's look at the average, right? Look at the average. Let's look at the data. Most people get ghosted after the third date. I know. I hear that all the time. It's so sad. And, you know, just for everybody listening, you know, everybody, we used to call it getting blown off back in the 70s in high school, 80s in college. It was called being blown off. So ghosting has been around forever, too. And I heard you talking about breadcrumbing, and I want to talk about that more. Um, But go ahead. Yeah. So after three days, and yeah, that's. On average, you know, on average, people get ghosted, friend zone. That's also a big thing nowadays. They kind of put you into a friend zone because they don't feel that, you know, intimate connection with you and they see you more as friends. Um, And, and, you know, so so to be in what we call whereas before, it was very binary. Binary is like you're single, you're dating, and you're in love. And we dated you know, to, to kind of like prepare for marriage. And today's dating world is more like preparing for divorce. You know, it, it's, we're training ourselves not to be with other people because of just the red flags. And, you know, when I wrote this book, I was very mindful of, you know, I didn't want to, to exasperate that this idea of like, oh, this is a red flag and run. No, I want you to stop and think because most people are now kind of like, oh, it's a red flag. I need to move away from that. Right. So, when most people find themselves nowadays basically in, in a in a in a situation most people do and not in a you know in a steady relationship so i don't think it's a red flag if someone you know or if you're dating someone and they've been in a situation i don't think it's a red flag at all um i you know i think it's so common in today's world and if you look at the numbers uh of, of situationships increasing amongst all the generations let's say in today's uh, in today's world um, I, it's it's more it's becoming more of a, a I don't want to call it a pandemic, but it's becoming more of a, of a of a common thing more than having a relationship is. What what generation do you see is having the most difficult time dating and find dating and then finding love? You know, because I see you know there are yeah. a lot. But I'm sixty three. I'm right, married. Right. But I see a lot of women over 60 who are either widows or divorced or maybe never married because they were career women and just never chose chose to marry. Uh, Or is it the 20 and 30 somethings? I have two millennial daughters and, you know, they look at the younger generations like these kids, you know, (laughs) they feel so so much older than them. Uh, So I'm just curious if you if you know about that yeah yeah i've got a lot to say about that but i i think you know i think fundamentally i think the younger generation does have 
you know, when I talk about young, I'm talking about like 18, 19 to 27, 28. Okay. And I think they fundamentally, you know, don't want something more stable. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I think something that's radically changed in the mind of a younger generation is um, how they perceive relationships. They don't perceive relationships as something like this is a one thing for my lifetime. You know, I think Esther Perel said, you know, today's world, we don't need to be more concerned about having one partner for life. We need to be more concerned about having one partner in a relationship, you know, and, and I think it's a reflection that today's you know, younger generation are starting to also, and, not, and this is not for everyone, that many of them are kind of seeing relationships as more transactional than, than committal or, you know, based on deep emotional connection. Their lives are changing, right? Their lives, they, they're, they're living in a world that's highly uncertain. They can't buy a house. They can't buy cars. You know, I mean, I mean, very often. I mean, there's a lot of things that they're being deprived of that our generation, your generation, actually got to experience. And they don't have that. And so, you know, it, it is a lot about how do I survive? How do I move? And so, you know, moving to another country in today's world also makes a lot of sense. So people love to be with each other they love that connection and i think they're much more easier creating the instant connection right like immediately bond and you know, make it feel real but the deeper connection is something that i think they're having a difficult time with and also it's not something they always want so if you are 22 and 23 and you want to be in a long-term relationship with someone your own age that can be very challenging for men and women who are now in their 40s and 50s and 60s um, I think it's it's much more easier for them today. Why? Because it's interesting that the the twenties and early thirties are also extremely interested in the forties, fifties, and sixties. And because of social media apps, and we look into the data, and I talk a lot about that in the book as well. Actually, you know, a forty-year-old or a fifty-year-old is, or let's say a forty-five-year-old is twice as likely to get a message from someone who's twenty-five or twenty-six than someone of her own age. Right. So that's interesting. 100 percent. I if I get any DMs, well, they're either from men that are like 80. Yeah. Or they're from boys who are 30. Yeah. 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 And that's what the data shows. Right. That's what the data shows. And that's what I think is so fascinating. And, you know, and, and so for being older and dating nowadays, I think is is great. However, in terms of finding something sustainable, I think is equally challenging, if not more challenging for someone who is younger because of the mindset that we have to, in today's world about dating. So, yeah. Right. Because the younger generation has just a different mindset than somebody, even uh, my daughter's generation, the millennials. Um, right. And then somebody, cause I, it just breaks my heart to hear about all of these women that are over 60 and they just, you know, they do get a lot of DMS from younger guys. You know, you hear with the whole golden bachelor, these women um, are, are all these young guys are sliding into their DMS and they're loving yeah. it. But, you know, for long-term, like, sure, it's fun, but long-term yeah. if that's what they're looking for, if they're not, that's fine. Cause they, they've been talking about that for a while and, and you just know that happens. And so, I I wonder if the younger generation is open to meeting people in person or do they rely overall? I know you can't answer for everybody, right, but generally right. speaking, do they rely totally on the apps or do you think they're looking to make a connection in person? For sure. I, I you know, I think both. And but the, the reliance on our mobile phone has has done a couple of things. First of all, from a behavioral perspective, 
you know, it's kind of ease of use. And, and ease of use means, look, if I can just like before, traditional dating was I go outside and I'll have to go to a bar and I'll have to dress up and I'll have to be my best, right? And it was a- You actually have to take a shower. Right, exactly. It was an exercise that we had to really put some effort into it. And But in today's world, you just go and sit on your couch. You take out your mobile phone with five minutes, you might have a date. And I think that that mindset shift has had a, a huge impact on on how people want to connect, but also how people view other people. So if you now don't see people as people, but you see them more as options, then you're more likely to mistreat other people. You're more likely to not put your best foot forward. Um, and, and so I guess that the ease of things, and we have to look at it from a cognitive perspective, we're actually very lazy. Our brain is extremely lazy. So if you can make the brain lazy and you give it an easy way out, it will choose the easy way out. But again, to become intimate with someone, you have to actively go out and meet someone. Um, and, and, and again, I do think a lot of people do want to meet other people, but what you also see, for example, behavior online is that people often don't even want to meet people. So it's purely the psychological validation is, oh, you, you matched me. So therefore I got my validation for today. I'm going to sit on my couch and watch my, you know, my TV and eat my popcorn. And I think that's another thing that, 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 you know, dating apps have facilitated, um, which, you know, is unfortunate, but still People want to meet each other, right? People still do want to meet each other. Absolutely. Right, because as you said at the beginning, people need it. They need the touch. Right. They need the energy. They need the feel. So yeah. what are what are some of the common red flags going to red flags, green flags? What are yeah. some of the common red flags that people should watch out for in starting a new relationship? Okay, that's that's a great question. Um, look, anyone anyone starting you know a new relationship, you should always be mindful of how people treat you and i don't want to i don't only want to say be mindful of the the, the observed like the clearly observable behaviors but also look for the, the the small subtle behaviors that people show because when we're with someone we always want to show ourselves you know in, in the best way possible and so that's a very conscious effort however our brain can't control everything you can't be consciously in control of everything that everything that you do so subtleties i think are very very important is someone good to a service worker when you're at a restaurant when you get the bill or you order something or not do you open the door for someone do you know the subtleties how people will react to you um i think those are the core behaviors that you should actually be looking for right um but i won't go too much into that but i just wanted to make one i just wanted to make one statement before we go into the actual red flags that Look at the small behaviors and don't, don't look so much at the big ones. Big ones are there and we can act it out, especially, you know, when we meet people the first time. Of course, we want to show our best selves, right? We're, we're going to put our best foot forward. But look at the subtle behaviors. I think that's it's just kind of a very general remark. Now, I think one of the first things or red flags you should look out for when you start dating people is um, um, how people deal with difficult situations. So do they get really quickly upset? Um, they're very stressed out. I mean, that's often an indicator of how they will deal with difficult situations with you. So, you know, how do people deal with difficulties, I think, is, is, is a major thing. Do they get very aggressive? Do they become very vocal? You know, we can't control that when the situation puts us under pressure. The actual behavior actually comes out. So I think that that's a red flag. If you see someone misbehaving in that way or showing aggressive behavior, then definitely, definitely watch out. Um, subtleties are how, or maybe another example of a subtlety is how do people treat you? 
in the moment? Do they, do they listen to you actively or are they just listening just to provide a response? For example, if someone says to you, I heard that you, you know, I, I hear you saying like, for example, Hey, should we go out tonight? Let's go to a party. And you're like, Oh yeah, I actually do want to go. But you know, at the same time, I'm not, I'm not sure what I want to wear. And, you know, and uh, I've got some stuff that I want to do tomorrow. And then the response from the other part from the other person would be, you know, I hear what you're saying, but I also hear what you're not saying. And that speaks actually louder than what you're saying. And you're actually saying that you want to kind of stay in tonight. You don't want to go out. You might not be feeling great. So would you, would you prefer to stay on the couch today and watch a movie together? And the other person says, looks at you and says, wow, well, you okay with that? Yeah, I'm, I'm fine with that. Let's do that. So that active listening and being empathetic, I think is a green flag. And if someone doesn't have that, it's a red flag, right? Someone doesn't show that to you. Is that something totally. you recognize? Oh, yes, yes. And yeah. I'm, I'm thinking about yeah. all the relationships yeah. that I've been and my daughters and, and all of those things. And when somebody knows what the red flags are, yeah, they ignore them. I've done right. it. Yeah. What is that a red flag to that person? <laughs> so, yeah, we often we often ignore red flags and we do that for different reasons. Right. Sometimes we we you know, we doubt ourselves. Is, is this truly a red flag? Did I see it right? And so self-doubt in that case is is one reason. Another reason for kind of not acknowledging the, the red flags is, you know, sometimes we think we want to fix people. Right. And so wanting to save and fix them and you see the red flag and kind of like, no, it's going to be fine. You know, that fixer mindset comes in and. That's another reason why you might be, you know, more willing to 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 you know not see a red flag. Um, another reason for not seeing the red flag is, I would say, because you might like some red flags, right? You might like a little bit of red in your life, a little spice, and especially when you're a more secure, confident individual, you might think, well, you know what, I can I can take some red flag poison, right? Yeah. You're like in my head. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I like the red. I, I, I can, I can handle this. Right. And, and then you, you go along with that. And then this is where it comes back to the first indicator that I indicated, like not wanting to see or not seeing the red flag is if you find yourself in a narcissistic or an abusive relationship and you stay in that relationship and you keep on seeing the red flags and, and but they're kind of maybe gaslighting you in the process that's very dangerous. Why? Because then it starts to chip away on your own sense of self. Because if you are now allowing someone else to question your intuition and your ability to see red flags in other people, you will steadily chip away more from yourself and find yourself almost in a situation that you won't be able to get out of it. So, so what I say with that is become aware why you're rejecting or not wanting to see the red flags. Be honest to yourself, because if you don't, it could hurt you down the line. That's where were you 20 years ago? Um, <laughs> and so you mentioned also that when a lot of people, when they see, when they recognize the red flags, they flee. Right. So how right. can we differentiate between a red flag and maybe some challenging parts of the beginning of a relationship, let's right. say for right. six months or three months? Right. Right. Great question. Look, you know, um, I, I also say this in the book, red comes in different shades of red. Right. Red comes in different shades of red. So we have like the severe red flags when someone hits you. You know, my mom always used to tell me, like, if someone hits you, you know, they're going to probably hit you again. 
right? So run. And, 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 I, and I think it's not just what your, your mom's and grandmother's and dad's advice is, but literature is also very clear on that, right? It's hard to change behavior. People repeat their behaviors over and over again, right? An indicator of how people will perform in the future is how they perform today. And that's equally so for how people treat each other in relationships. So I, I think, you know, uh, that's a clear red flag. And sometimes there are red flags that you kind of go like, mm, mm, yeah, I can see that's an annoying factor. And that might annoy me and it won't annoy someone else. Because, again, red is subjective in many ways as well. Red is very subjective. And, and so I always say, you know, similar to... Well, I don't want to say give a diagnosis, but in a similar to kind of assessing someone, you don't assess p- people from one thing. You look at multiple things. And if you see multiple red flags early on mm-hmm. in a relationship, then you're going to have a much more higher, you know, mu- much more better indicator that, you know, that kind of behavior is something that is going to hurt you down the line if you don't address it now. Or maybe that's something that's not easily to address and you're not willing to commit yourself to that then that might be an indicator that you need to kind of move away from that and that, you know, that person is not going to be the right fit for you. So again, different, different shades of red. I often say, right. There's different shades of red and don't only look at one. Like, of course, look at the, 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 the heavy red ones. You walk away from them, like the really red flags, but when they're shaded, most of them are shaded, right? So you look at different ones together. And if you see a pattern of behaviors that indicate unhealthy behavior, then you need to think carefully about what you want to do with that or reflect on it. Because maybe one more thing I want to add to that is that, you know, some people run away from the very, very first red flag. And, and, and that, again, could be more of a reflection that they are the red flag, right? Um, often that comes from a fear of abandonment. And, and you know, and that, that can stem from childhood or past relationships. And so when you have that fear of abandonment, um, you know, when the moment you see the first red flag, you're going to be the one who's going to run away first because you don't want to get hurt. And that's kind of the process that happens in your mind. But people don't often think about why they're running away from the very first red flag. And that goes to your point that I've heard you talk about why a lot of people choose not to date because of that fear. Right. Right. And and I think we should look at one example of it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Look, a lot of people now are choosing to kind of like, it's, I, I call this the me generation, right? People are becoming, getting so focused on themselves. It's like, I can do everything by myself. I can order Uber Eats. I can live my own life. I have my friends. And often people justify the fact of having a strong social connection as a way of living by yourself. You're, you're busy schedule. You're not, you know, you're nine to five, your jobs, your gym. Um, I don't have time to fit someone into my schedule. So we're justifying being by ourselves because of our lives, our busy lives, but also at the same time having bad experiences. And, it, and, and you know, I think it's a good thing. It's okay to be by yourself for a while, but don't get too comfortable because getting too right. comfortable, exactly, can actually hurt you down the line. It's not good for your health. It's not good for your mindset. It's not good for your perception of reality. And the, the longer we are alone, the less likely we're actually going to be able to find someone and stay with that person uh, for a long period of time. That makes so much sense. And that, that no, and, and that's what I see with a lot of women over 60 is that they seem to be some of them, I'm generally speaking, they I fear that they get complacent. So yeah. green flags. We have five yeah. minutes left. So we have green <laughs> flags, and then I have one other question. So green yeah. flags to pay attention to that are, you know the things that we look for. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, the the common things I I say we should always look for is someone who can communicate. If you look at 
you know, years of research in romantic relationships and family dynamics, communication is by far the most important factor. Mm-hmm. Trust, right? Being able to trust someone. I think a lot of us nowadays don't trust because of having bad experiences or seeing this kind of that social learning at the same time. When we see other things happen to people, we eventually become less trustful of, of people's intentions, right? And, and so trust is very, very important. Building trust, you know, doing what you're saying that you're going to do, be there for the other person, Empathy, I think by far empathy is extremely important. Can, can someone empathize with you and feel you and see you? Because there are a lot of people out there that cannot empathize, right? Narcissists and you know, other people that actually have uh, personality disorders, they, they, can't, they can't empathize. And again, it's not people only that have personality disorders, but also some people just generally can't empathize with other people. They can't see or feel what you're seeing or understand what you're going through. And, and that's going to be a huge issue eventually down the line when you're, you're kind of picking up behaviors from each other and trying to anticipate each other. Then if you don't, if you lack that ability to communicate non-verbally and being able to empathize with the other person, then you're not going to be able to sustain your relationship for a long time either. Another Another thing that I want to say about green flags, and I talk about that also in the book, I emphasize that, it says, don't look at red, green flags only as, oh, that's a green flag, fantastic. No, you as actively as you have to change or you want to change a red flag in yourself or someone else, as actively as you have to nurture a green flag as well. If you want those positive behaviors to see repeated, you have to appraise it, you have to appreciate it, you have to provide it the right conditions for it to continue similar to this planting you know a, a plant in the ground and it growing it has to have nutri- nutrients it has to have sun it has to have you know warmth to be able to grow so you know green green behaviors or positive behaviors green flags as they say identify them but nurture them and i think that's nurture. something that most people don't think about when they're in a relationship they take it for granted but eventually if you don't nurture the green flags, those green flags can go away and eventually become red flags behavior. So it's another thing to take into consideration when we think about green flags. And I love that you brought up. I, I love that you brought up empathy. Um, empathy and integrity are very, very important to me. Um, and you know, after being in different relationships, I figured out, okay, this is this is what I stand for. This is what I need. How long do you think somebody? If you gave an, a, a time, how right. long do you think somebody should be in a relationship to know whether or not it's a good fit for them? Oh, that's look, that's a that's a million dollar question. You know, know. you hear so many stories and I've spoken to so many people in my life, um, you know, professionally as well as personally. And you hear people come together after three, you know, three weeks and they decide to live together and they're still 30 years are still together. And then you hear people that are in relationships and I take some of my own relationships in the past and you come together after a year, kind of living in different countries, you live together and you find out, whoa, I didn't know this about you, right? right. <laughs> <laughs> so there's, you know, again, I'll give you maybe a behavioral perspective. And All right, we have a minute and a half. Minute and a half. I won't give you the most conventional answer here, okay. but I would state from a behavioral perspective is go and live with that person as soon as possible because then you really know how they are, and 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 then you really know how they are when they're you know when they're stressed when they're actually with you not by themselves. And so if the opportunity you know serves you both to do that, I would say do that because then you can really see if you're a match or not. Ah, so no no specific time. Okay. 
Um, how can we purchase the book, Red Flags, Green Flags, and tell us yeah, how we can purchase that, your podcast? Super. I didn't know this was going to be about the book. I thought we had other questions planned, but no worries. I know we did. I have to have you back on here because I wanted I'm to get like, into the narcissistic. Yes, please do. I, I have so many more questions for you. So the Red Flags, Green Flags book is going to come out, I think, around the 17th to the 21st of April, which is two months away from now. Um, you can buy it on all the major um, you know, platforms such as Amazon and all the other ones out there. Um, also, it's going to be in, in the bookstores because um, I publish it together with Penguin, which is the biggest publisher in the world. And so it's going to be, um, I think we already have, I'm not confirmed yet, but multiple languages already. So it's going to come out in different languages. So you'll be able to find it either online or you'll probably come across it in a bookstore, a supermarket, or somewhere at the airport. So if you do, definitely give it a read. It's a refreshing way of looking at human relationships. More importantly, it's helping you to make better decisions about your relationship. And I think even more important, it's going to help you to kind of improve the way you think uh, and become the better version of yourself. So that's the book. Dr. Ali Fennick, I am so honored to have had you on the show. We have so much more to talk about. I have... Please, everybody go watch him on Instagram and you're on TikTok also. Yes, yes, also TikTok that, as well. That's how I found him on Instagram and I just scroll and scroll and scroll because every single thing you post is so important to read about and and you're going to find yourself in there. So thank you for being educational and entertaining and bringing us all this information. It has um, been just a pleasure having you here and thank you so much for sharing all your knowledge. Thank you for having me on your show. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. And I feel that we're going to have many more talks together. Yes, I hope so. And for now, everybody, thank you so much for joining us on Fearlessly Authentic. And I'll see you next time. Bye-bye, everyone. Thank you for tuning in this week to Fearlessly Authentic. Please listen again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time for another edition with your host, Jody Harrison Bauer, on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and unlock the keys to a more powerful you.